enjoyed that way too much. <laughs> now I tell you, I uh, I hope we I hope we pay attention to the words that we sing and to the words that we hear in our music. That song is from the '80s, of course, and some of you remember when that was big. Some of you caught it maybe a little later, but the song says, "Here I go again." On my own. You know, it's amazing to me how many songs have been written, how many songs have been sung and performed, and how many we love that are about relationships. This one happens to be about the idea that I'm going out on my own again. Here I go again on my own, going down the only road that I've ever known. And he says, like a drifter, I was born to walk alone. And he says, I've made up my mind. I'm not wasting any more time. Some of us here today sing that song, not because we remember it from the 80s hairband White Snake, but we we sing that as an anthem. Here I go again. We, We wear that as a badge of honor. Here I go. I'm on my own. I don't need anybody. I'm good to go. Leave me alone. In fact... There are some of us here today who say, you know what, I made that decision a long time ago, and I've been walking through life alone for a long, long time. And that song, the words there mean something to you. Because you could say that. This is the only road I've ever known. I'm just, I'm by myself, I'm on my own, I don't need anybody else. And let's be honest for just a second, sometimes we really do like that, don't we? Isn't it true that sometimes people drive you so crazy that you say, you know what, here I go again on my own. (laughs) Leave me alone. I don't want anybody. I had a conversation with a guy this past week. He just said, if this is how it's going to be, I'm just going to remove myself from all these relationships. I don't want anything to do with them. Some of us have gotten so tired of people, so tired of the hassle and the drama that comes with people that we would rather be on our own. You may be like that this morning. You may have experienced those times. You may be tempted this morning based upon events that have happened in your life over the last week or month or year or several years, and you just say, I'm done with people. There's too much hurt, too much pain. There's too many things that have happened, and I don't care to be involved anymore. And that song wraps it up. And you you kind of drift through life there on your own. It's really now, at this point, as he says, the only, the only road that you know. We're beginning a new series today called Together. And just so you know, uh, each, of the, each of the sermon titles uh, will, will, will resonate with a particular song that maybe you've heard before. But I think when we look at our music, and I think music is so powerful... I think it's important for us to pay attention, to be discerning. What are these words actually saying? What do they say about us as people, about us as a society, about us as individuals or together? And so we'll see that as we go through. All of the sermons will come, of course, directly from the Scripture. We won't preach about songs, but I think it's important to notice just how much of our music is about relationships. I mean, if you think about it, whether it's country music or the top 40 stuff or the oldies or the 80s rock, so much of it is about relationships. So this series is called Together, and I I hope that we can unpack over the next several weeks. This will lead us up, just so you know, up to Easter. 
This series will end the Sunday before Easter, and we'll begin a new series on Easter Sunday morning. But we're going to look at eight weeks of the power, the value, and the necessity of godly relationships, and whatever that may mean in your life. I want to talk about friendships in particular. I want to talk about those relationships that help you get through life. And today we're going to talk about how awful and rotten and terrible it is to have to go through life completely alone. Whether you've chosen that path for yourself or it seems to be chosen for you, how tough that can be. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes. Now this is a book right after Proverbs and Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. I take it back right after Proverbs, right before Song of Songs. Ecclesiastes is, is a, a, a book that maybe you've read before. In fact, I did a series on Ecclesiastes about three or four years ago. And as I began to think through this idea of relationships and, and why maybe we need to talk about it in our society today, I went back to one of the messages that I, that I preached during that series, and I thought, let's drill down on that just a little bit more. Let's unpack a portion of that a tad more than we did the last time. And so this passage of Scripture may be familiar to you if you've been with us that long. Uh, it, it may be that, uh, that you've... You've read this before, or Ecclesiastes may be something completely new to you. The idea in the book uh, is, is, is the author is writing about what it's like to live in absolute futility. What, it, what it's like to, as he mentions over and over, to chase the wind. Some of you have felt like that in life, I'm sure, that you chase something only to have it disappear or be non-existent or slip through your fingers. And he talks about the futility of life, how it's like chasing the wind, essentially apart from two main things, apart from a solid, anchored, grounded relationship and life in God, and apart from relationships by extension with other people. The passage we'll see this morning is mainly about those relationships that we have with other people. But of course we know that all of these, or none of these I suppose, have any meaning whatsoever apart from an ongoing and deepening relationship with your Savior. So, let's read chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Now this may be something that you've heard at a wedding before. And it certainly has application in marriage. But it's really more general than that. It's not just about a marriage relationship. We have many folks here today who are married. We have many folks who are not. So this isn't just about marriage relationship. This is about the power and the value of relationships as a whole. You'll see there on your outline, one main point today, we'll unpack a little bit of this as we go through it. But if you're on your own, essentially this author says to us, good luck. Good luck to you. In fact, he says, woe to you. Now, this isn't woe in the sense that we see some destruction that's heading your way because you refuse to be in godly relationships or because they haven't worked out for you or whatever. This is just, woe it, I have pity on you. Your life is going to be more difficult, he's saying, because God did not create you, God did not create me, God did not create us to walk through life alone. 
God did not create you to walk through life alone. That's the main point that we get from this passage. In fact, we see relationship from all eternity throughout the scripture. God exists in what we know as one God in three persons. In a relationship with himself expressed different ways. We also know that in the scripture, relationships were established in the Garden of Eden. When God created Adam, what did he say? It's not good for man to what? To be alone. He said, I'm going to make somebody that's fashioned specifically to be a counterpart, to meet the needs that this man has, and he will meet the needs that this woman has, and they will be together in relationship. From the very beginning, God said, it's not good for you to be alone. Jesus When he came to earth, you would think that anybody who would be able to walk through life alone and say, I don't need anybody, would be God himself in human flesh, Jesus Christ. And yet, what did he do at the beginning, the outset of his ministry? What did he do? He gathered around him 12 disciples, and then he got three in particular that he spent the most amount of time with. And they rubbed shoulders with each other. They did ministry together. They lived life together. Jesus himself showed that relationships are extremely important. You fast forward just a little bit, and you see in the early church, in the book of Acts, you see that relationships were huge to them. Many of them were struggling financially. They, they were lonely. They, they had been thrown out, essentially, of their Judaism because they converted to, to, to faith in Jesus Christ. And they needed people. So you see in Acts chapter 2, the church rallies together in relationship. God created us not as loners, but as social beings. We know that. Verse 9 says, two are better than one. Now, this isn't saying that you only need one other friend in life. That's not what he's saying. It's a proverbial statement to say that on your own is not as good as with other people. So it's a contrast, a really kind of a criticism of the verses that came right before this, where it talks about different people who went through life alone and wound up ruined. Individualism, we see throughout Scripture, has no place in the Christian life. It has no place in the Christian church. We are meant to be together. Now that's not to say that somebody needs to be in your business all the time. We're going to get to that in this particular series. We're going to talk about different things like that. But for now, let's understand that this writer in Ecclesiastes is telling us about the danger of the temptation of isolation and being alone. Maybe sometimes the tendency or the belief that we're okay to be on our own. Or maybe that it's preferable that way. So he's not talking about that two are better than one in every waking moment, that you need to have somebody with you all the time. He's saying a general statement. Life is better when it's lived with other people. God's idea from the beginning was never that we would be left alone, but that we would be in relationship. In fact, we see that play out in our lives. I found some some interesting articles this week, one of which talked about the danger of loneliness. And, and, and let me read to you just a couple of these statements from this particular article, because I think maybe there's some folks here today that might be struggling with this. Loneliness brings an increased mortality risk that's comparable to that from smoking. Loneliness is about twi- is twice, uh, twice as dangerous, rather, as obesity. Social isol- isolation impairs immune function and boosts inflammation, which can lead to arthritis, type 2 diabetes, and heart disease. Loneliness is breaking our hearts, but in our culture, we rarely talk about it. This study went on to say loneliness has doubled. 40% of adults in two recent surveys say they're lonely. 40%, which was up from 20% in the 1980s. All of our Internet interactions aren't helping and maybe making loneliness worse. 
A recent study of Facebook users found that the amount of time you spend on the social network is inversely related to how happy you feel throughout the day. And I say amen to that. There's nothing more depressing than Facebook and Twitter. Oh, my goodness. There's nothing. I'm telling you, there's nothing more depressing. If you want to be depressed all week, just spend all your time on social media. It's going, I, I'll tell you, if you want to be happy, some people say, well, you're just blissfully unaware. That's fine. I'll take the bliss. I don't want all the depression from Facebook and Twitter. Get me out of there. It's awful. Terrible. In a society that judges you based on how expansive your social networks appear, loneliness is difficult to fess up to. It feels shameful. You know, we have the illusion in our culture that we are so connected to one another. Oh, I've got all these friends on Facebook. Listen, I've, I think I have somewhere around, and some of y'all blow this out of the water, because I, rare, I, have, I don't respond to Facebook friend requests much anymore, because some of the people, I'm like, who in the world are you? I, I don't know where you came from. And probably somebody from back way in elementary school, third grade, they were there half the year, you know, something like that. But I've got like 1,100 friends on Facebook. Now, that doesn't say anything about me at all. I guarantee you there's probably about... A thousand of those that I haven't spoken to in 20 years. I don't. I have no clue who they are. But does that say something about me? Well, another person's only got 800 friends. Guess what? I, you know, look at me. I've got 1,100. Somebody else has got 20,000. I ought to feel pretty small. I'm not nearly as connected. We, we, we post things and we, we feel like if we get likes and we get comments and people, uh, you know, they, they screenshot our Snapchats and all this stuff. We thought, oh, boy, I'll tell you what, I, I'm really getting it done in life now. And unfortunately, what's happening to us is we are drifting off into our own little worlds where we create our own persona. Nobody really knows us except for what we create for ourselves online through social media, through texting, Snapchat, whatever it may be, we create what we want others to believe about us because honestly, we don't want them to really know who we are. Because if they did, guess what? They wouldn't screenshot anymore. They wouldn't click like. They wouldn't retweet. They, if they truly knew us, they'd want nothing to do with us. And what we have done is protected ourselves and we become the most lonely society the world has ever seen. That's depressing, isn't it? We have to understand. And I can't, I'll just tell you this, I, I struggle with it all the time. I look, I, I spend time on Facebook looking around at what, seems to be happening in the world, in people's lives. Where I read stories that are posted on Twitter or wherever. And there's part of me that, that I feel like I need to go and do something to try to help everybody. You ever feel that way? I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, one of the things I struggle with most is what they call a savior complex. <laughs> I try to save everybody. I'm going to try to rescue you. I'm going to try to help you out as best I can. I, I'll tell you... I, I, I can't even help everybody here individually, but I, I hope that over the next few weeks, that maybe at least just here, at least just for us, and maybe it'll spill over. Maybe God will use it some way that's amazing we never anticipated. But that we will begin to experience the kind of relationships that God designed us to have first with Him and then with each other. I can't do anything about all this stuff on Facebook and those 1,100 friends I don't know. But I, maybe, maybe we can do something about it here. 
The writer in Ecclesiastes tells us that God did not create you to walk through life alone. Two are better than one. And then what he does is gives us several examples that we'll roll through quickly. Several examples of why two are better than one. Why will you need people? You say, no, 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 come on. I, this is America. I, I, I am on my own. I am a self-made individual. We love individualism in America, but let me tell you this. God does not love individualism. And maybe you've got to make a choice this morning between who you're going to listen to. Is it going to be God or is it going to be American society? One of those is going to destroy you. The other wants to bring you life. I think you know which one wants to bring you life. He's going to give us several examples. First of all, God did not create us to walk through life alone. First of all, because you are limited. You and I are limited. Verse 9 says it this way, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. What he's saying here is that no matter what you're doing in life, whatever you're putting your hand to, if you have somebody else with you or multiple people with you, typically you're going to accomplish more than you could on your own. Now, not in every case is that true. Of course, we know that. But broadly and by and large, this is true. It's true for really any kind of work that you do, whatever it is that you join up with other people, you typically have a better return. You get more back, essentially, for your labor. Think about it in a, in a, in a marriage. If both people are pulling the same direction, guess what happens? The marriage is better. Now, for some of you that are married this morning, this is revolutionary. If you're, if you're pulling in the same direction, if you're working together, if you're on the same team, if you really, not only do you love each other, but you like each other too, you know, okay, being, you know, around each other, it typically goes better for you. Now, I sound you know, like I'm patronizing, but let's be honest, some of us don't seem to get that. I'm married, but I don't like who I'm married to. You know, we're going different directions. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. God designed it so that it would make you better. Do you realize that? When God designed Adam and Eve, he put them together in a marriage so that they would both blossom. They would both be better than they were on their own. You think about it when it comes to work. Now, some of you work with knuckleheads. I realize that. Some of you do. And you say, I don't want to work with those people. They're, they're, I know. But when you work with some people that bring skills to the table, when you work with people that bring attitudes to the table that complement yours, you can get more accomplished. I played on plenty of teams growing up, playing baseball through high school and college. And I played on some teams that I would absolutely love to go back and play for. The team that I played for when I was a senior in high school, I've never seen anything like it. We were the best team in the state all year long. One week we spent at number two. The rest we spent at number one. We went on to win the state championship, went 39-3. and three. And you know what never happened on that team? Never did we have a major disagreement that threatened to divide us? I'd go back and play for that team all day long. But you know, I played on a couple teams at Murray State that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Oh, guys didn't like each other. They didn't get along. They're out for themselves. They didn't care about anybody else. Oh, it was awful. You see what happens when we begin to work together. Why? Because we're limited. On my own, guess what? I can't do all these things. On my own, I can't get through life the way that I'm supposed to. So it's, it's not just about teams or at work or even in a marriage. It's about relationships in general. When you have somebody with you, it makes you sharper. It helps you get through the day. It keeps you going. keeps you encouraged. You realize that when you're on your own and nobody is speaking life into you, 
then you are drifting and you are in serious, serious danger. I had the opportunity the last couple of weeks to rekindle a friendship with a guy that I knew in high school. and We roomed together a year or two in college, and we, we hadn't been in touch in a while. And he sent me an email and just, hey, can we, can we rekindle this? And, man, we've been able, just as brothers in Christ, we've been able the last couple of weeks to just speak encouragement to each other. It's been so huge for me. At least you know you're not alone, whatever you're going through. Two are better than one because there's more return. You are limited. You're going to need people with you. Life is better that way. He goes on to talk about the fact that you're going to fall down as well. You're limited. You can't accomplish as much on your own in life. You can't be complete in life without other people. You'll also fall down. He says in verse 10, If either falls, his companion can lift him up. They're talking about traveling during this time period, which was not done, of course, on the interstate. It was done often through paths and and different uh, uh, forests or mountain ranges or along uh, rivers and seas and different things that weren't exactly the best paths to travel all the time. And sometimes a person fell into some trouble. They would fall down. We think of the story of the Good Samaritan. When the man was traveling the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, that road there was not exactly the best one to travel. He falls into trouble. Somebody there to help him out. The truth is, you may fall into some trouble in life. It may be unintentional. Never saw it coming. It wasn't your fault. You didn't do anything intentionally. Or maybe you did cause it. A slip in judgment, some sin in your life that causes you to fall and you don't know how to get back up off the floor. There will be times when you find yourself on the ground in life. And for some, that was this week. For some, you're there right now. You are flat on the ground and you drug yourself to church to smile at people, hoping to feel a little bit better today, but you are on the ground for whatever reason. Maybe you've run off the side of the road in life. You're over in the ditch, and you're wondering, does anybody see the taillights here? Is anybody driving by? Do they see me over here? The truth is, it's going to happen to all of us. And he says, pity the one who falls without another to help him up. Woe to you. Pity. Not, not I just feel sorry for you, but it's pitiful. You're in a pitiful state. As you well know, some of you right now have been there on the ground, in the ditch, off the side of the road, and nobody is there to help you. Nobody. All they want to give you is, hey, just think positively. (laughs) As if that's going to help you. Hey, uh, you know, just pick yourself up. Come on. You can do this. As if that's going to help you. Maybe this week. Those of us who find ourselves flat on the ground, off the road, in the ditch, would pray and cry out to God, Lord, send me somebody who can help me. God, humble me enough to where I will receive their help. I won't won't shove it away anymore. God, surround me with somebody who loves Jesus who can love me too. You might say, well, now here I go again on my own. (laughs) And he says, that's such a pitiful state. How pitiful is the person who is alone when he falls down. He goes on to tell us that we're going to get cold in life. 
Verse 11, also if two lie down together, they can keep warm. The knights in the, the, the Near East there, around Jerusalem, Jericho, Palestine area, the travelers would also often spend the night outdoors. And there was a sharp difference between the night temperature and the daytime temperature. And they would get cold. You ever been cold at night when you're trying to go to sleep? Now, some of you like it. My uncle was like this. He had a fan. It didn't matter what time of the year it was, a big box fan. He turned all the way up and put about 15 blankets on him. And I just thought, what? that doesn't make any sense. What are you doing? But he liked to kind of feel the, the cool and then surround himself with the blankets and then go to sleep. And that's the way he, he liked to do it. Now, some of you like that. But if you've ever felt just a little bit chilly when you're trying to go to sleep, that's tough. It's really hard to keep warm when you're sitting there by yourself and you've got no blanket and you're out in the cold. People often had to to lie close together. And this is not anything of, of talking about a marriage union or a sexual relationship or anything like that. It's just talking about the fact that physically they had to get close together in order to generate enough warmth to keep them warm through the night. Or they'd freeze. You think about how life makes us like that. When some kind of adversity comes, something goes wrong. You keep hitting the wall. You keep failing at whatever it is you're trying. Or you have some serious dark days. And your anxiety runs high and your depression runs really deep. This Wednesday, we're going to talk a little bit about that, just so you know. Follow up on Wednesday from our Sunday sermon. This week, talking about just some signs of burnout and depression and what what we can do about those things. But for now, let's just say that you need somebody with you on that journey, don't you? You realize one of Satan's greatest tools is to get you over in a corner and just start wailing on you. And he's got you backed up against the ropes And he hits you up top and then he gets you with the body blows and you don't know where to go to get out of it. And you look around and there's nobody in your corner. Nobody. And you just say, what's the point? You know, it's too difficult for me to try to open up to somebody anyway. They're not going to understand. They're just going to shame me for being this way if they knew I was feeling such anxiety and such depression. I mean, me for crying out loud, if they knew that. And Satan loves it because he's ruining your life by keeping you isolated so that you don't talk to God anymore, so you don't have interaction with people who love Jesus who can help you. Some of us have experienced that adversity. Those dark days were just hard times when nothing seems to go your way. He says, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. If you've got somebody with you, a godly person in your life who will love you, pray for you, speak life into you, encourage you with God's word, then you can make it through that time. There is hope. Even for the darkest depression, there is hope by the power of Jesus Christ and by the the, the fellowship that comes, the relationships that come with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It is possible to make it through. But he says, how can one person alone keep warm? You're on your own. Good luck, because it ain't happening. He goes on to let us know that you'll be attacked. Verse 12, if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. 
The traveling dangers. I referenced the story of the Good Samaritan just a minute ago. We, of course, know what happened to that guy, what he was attacked. He's traveling alone in a very dangerous part of the, the journey, and the robbers come out of nowhere, and that's what they did. They were sort of the guys who made their living off attacking and taking from others, and that's what happened. The, the, the person who traveled alone didn't have a chance because he's outnumbered. And even if he just comes up against one other person, if that other person is bigger and stronger, he's going to be overpowered. The, the point is not travel in numbers. Make sure that when you're on a journey and you're traveling from here to there that you've got somebody in the car with you. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is really an analogy to say, you know what, in life sometimes things are going to attack. You're going to be overpowered by things that you don't know what to do with. People are going to say and do things against you at work, at home, even at church. Your reputation is going to be threatened. Who will speak on your behalf? You'll have family issues. Who will you go to? Companionship is extremely important when you encounter these different attacks. It won't take long when you're on your own for you to realize that you can't do it. When life mounts its attack and you're all alone, you will be overpowered, he says. And he closes with the fact that you will need strength. He says at the end of verse 12, sort of wrapping up his instruction here in these few verses on relationships, he says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Now, let, let me just tell you real quick, this is not specifically written so that at a wedding ceremony, we can say it's, it's the man, the woman, and God. And that three strands, that, that certainly does apply. Because let me just tell you, if you're in a marriage and you don't have Jesus Christ at the center of it, then you two are on your own against all these things. But what he's saying is that when you begin to weave life together, that if two is better than one, then three is better than two. It's a proverb. And contrary to what we're taught, and what we unfortunately believe, and we post on Facebook and wherever, sometimes life does give you more than you can handle. You realize that's not in the Bible. Let me just time out for a second, a little, little side note. God never said He'll never put on you more than you can handle. He said you'll never be tempted beyond what you can, can bear. And that in that temptation, there's always a way of escape. But guess what? If we're ever going to learn to trust God, there's going to be more honest than we can handle. Because if there never we're more honest than we can handle, why on earth do we need to trust God? You get me? It's not in the Bible. So if you posted that on Facebook a few minutes ago, delete that, all right? Take that off of there, all right? Your pastor said take it off, all right? But, but honestly, and I don't, I, don't, I don't mean to shame anybody who's, who's bought into that, but we are told, well, God will never put on you more than hand, or God, God gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. That's garbage. It's garbage. There's only one strong soldier that's ever lived, and his name is Jesus Christ. Not me, not you. Don't take pride in the fact that we've got more honest than we can handle. Be humbled by it. Go directly to Jesus Christ and say, I can't handle this. You can. 
He will put more on you sometimes than you can handle. Life will do that to you so that we learn we are limited. We're human. We're, we're finite. He's infinite. We need him. I thank God that he's infinite. I can't explain it all. <laughs> Blows my mind to think about it all. But I praise God that he's not limited like I am. He can handle it. Sometimes when there's more on us than we can handle, if we're not in relationship with the Lord and, and in relationship with other godly people, then we're left weak and we're left unprepared to deal with it. Some of us have been raised to be very independent. I'm one of those people. I told somebody not long ago, I said, I'm about to start a series, a sermon series that I need to hear. I grew up as a very independent young man. When I was 14 years old, my parents will tell you that's sort of like when I left home. I went to play for a baseball program, and I was at school 12 hours a day. I'd come home, do my homework, go to bed, get up and do it the next day all over again. I left home at age 18, came to Murray State, stayed here during the summers. Didn't even go home. Rarely went home on the weekend. I was independent. I'm going to tell you, I still live that way. That's my default. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it. I can get through it. Some of you like that. But what's going to happen when your strength runs out? What's going to happen when you face that issue that won't go away and you can't make it go away? What's going to happen when you feel weak and unprepared? He says a cord of three strands. When it comes to human relationships, if two is better than one, then he says three is better than two. The more you can have in your life of godly relationships, he says the better off you're going to be. You can go through life alone. And maybe you think you're getting from point A to point B a little faster and with less hassle and less drama. But the truth is, you'll dig out of your problems by yourself. You'll have no one who cares about you when times get tough. You'll face lots of lonely, lonely battles over in the corner. But God has created your family, your spouse if you are married, your parents, your friends, your church, all for your benefit. All in order to make sure that we can glorify God through how we live and He knows we need people with us. Now these relationships, just so you know, are not built through texting. They're not built through social media. They're not built through going back and forth on your apps and so on. I wish I could tell you, and young people, make sure that you, that you hear me. And, and let's just say uh, those who are acting young <clears throat> by doing all those things, right? We like to feel a little younger sometimes. That's okay. But those kind of relationships are not built through those means. As I told you from the beginning, the foundation for all of this, the writer in Ecclesiastes closes out his book in chapter 12, and he says basically to the effect that I've seen everything, done everything in life, and I've realized that nothing matters except, except to trust God. <laughs> And to live in a way that pleases Him. It's essentially what he says. He says, I've chased all these other things. Done everything. I've seen everything. The only thing that matters in life is, do you trust God? And then by implication, are you obeying Him in all these areas? I told you from the beginning, this series 
is not, and hear me on this, it's not designed just to go and be a better friend, live a better life. It's designed for us to see our desperate need, the way we've been created for relationship. And I hope and pray that through this, that if you are a person who right now is far from God, not in relationship with Jesus Christ, that you will see your deep need for relationship and realize that no matter how many friends you put around you, ultimately, ultimately, that will not fulfill you apart from having your foundation of life built upon a solid, deepening, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Because our greatest need, the Bible tells us very clearly, is not to be rid of our loneliness. It's to be rid of our sin. And that only comes through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our greatest need. And then guess what? Then God provides for all the other needs as well. But start there and hear me throughout this series. We're going to talk a lot about relationships. I'm going to try to give you very practical things that we can go and we can do and we can build our lives in a different way. Maybe it will please God through how we operate as a result. But let me tell you this. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us there's only one way truly to please God, and that is through faith. Without faith, he says, it's impossible to please God. The implication there is without faith in his son, Jesus Christ, it is impossible to please God. So this isn't just about having a better life. It's about having our ultimate need met, and that is forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that we receive that by trusting Him. Believe in Him, the Bible says, and you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the power and the penalty of our sin. The power is that it it controls us to the point that we ultimately, in our sin nature, will choose to disobey God, particularly through unbelief, but also the penalty of our sin. The Bible makes it very clear. We're going to live forever somewhere, heaven or hell. Jesus, through His great grace, has broken the power and the penalty. We don't have to pay that anymore. Relationships begin by having a relationship with Jesus. And I, I, I pray that you'll throw yourself at Him today if you haven't already. And then from there, that you'll say, you know what? I'm not going through life alone. I'm not going to do it anymore. I don't even know where to start. It's going to be tough. I'm I'm struggling with this, but I'm not going through life alone. And you say, you know what? Here I go again on my own. And you say, you know what? For once, not this week. Let me give you two things to do this week. And, And this will assume that you have given your life to Jesus by faith in Him. First thing is to spend time with Jesus building that relationship every day. You say, how much time? I don't know. However much time it takes. Whatever time the Holy Spirit leads you to to do. Spend time with Jesus every day. Sometimes we feel distant from God because we're not spending time nurturing that relationship. He's always available. Spend time with Jesus this week. Read what He's written in the Scripture. Read what God wrote for us. Maybe you say, I don't know where to start. Start in Proverbs, start in the Gospel of John, start somewhere in the Gospels. Begin to to understand the nature of God, who He is. Begin to understand what He wants for you. And then this week, let me encourage you. Make contact with someone who can, maybe you've already got them, who who can be a godly friend in your life. As I told you, I had this guy, his name's Todd. He lives in Cocoa Beach, Florida now. 
sent me an email. He said, hey, I'd just like to rekindle a friendship. And I said, do you have any extra room in your house? We can come and stay. I, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a shot. I mean, you know, we went to college together, for crying out loud. But it's been so neat, such a blessing. And all it took was somebody saying, hey, you got any time talking on the phone? Let, let me encourage you this week. Talk with somebody who, who you say, you know what, I know I can count on this person. They're a godly influence in my life. Talk to somebody on the phone or in person. Don't text them. Don't post it on their wall. Don't send them a direct message. Don't do anything except give them a call or try to meet with them in person. I recognized my need for that this past week, and so I, I got together with a friend. He and I have been friends for years, and I just said, hey, you got any time this week? Let's grab lunch. It was really, really helpful. I hope you hear the heart of what this series is about. Relationships start with that of, of us and Jesus Christ. Apart from that, you'll never have your needs met. But then God provides for all of our needs, and relationships are one of them. I pray this morning you'll commit to Jesus Christ, and then follow through by building into your life those godly relationships that can truly help you get through it. Let's pray together. If you don't know where to start in a relationship with with Jesus Christ, the Bible doesn't make it complicated. There are no special words that you have to say. But maybe this morning you just Say a simple prayer of faith. Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. That you died for my sins and you're my only hope for forgiveness. I confess my sin and repent and I give my life to you. Something along those lines you may find helpful as you commit in faith. And for others who have already done that, I wonder what God has spoken to you this morning. Will you respond to him? How is it that God wants you to be obedient after seeing the Scripture this morning? Lord, we're grateful to be here. We thank you that as we'll sing in a moment, you you truly did pay it all. You have met our greatest need. And Lord, we thank you that you didn't just stop there, though that would have been enough. But you want to meet all of our other needs as well. Surround us, Lord, we pray with godly people people who love Jesus and can help us, who will love us and pray for us and speak life into us. Lord, I pray that you give us those relationships. Lord, for those who are alone this morning, those who are lonely, fill them, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Meet those needs. Surround them, Lord, I pray. Surprise them this week with someone who can love on them. Help us, Lord, to follow your lead, to follow your example, and to please you in our relationships. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.